fear the talking queers. Now that we're all here, the party can begin. Hey, bitch. Hey, bitch. I'm Frankie. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to another episode of Fear the Talking Queers. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Before we go any further, in my best high school musical voice, I just want to say <laughs> Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Oh my god, Ashley, welcome yeah. to the show. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jay. I'm done. <laughs> Do you like when people... Oh, and the reason why we're saying this is because it is Jake's birthday. Well, it was Jake's birthday. <laughs> well, yeah, by the time this comes out, it will have been my birthday. <laughs> Currently, it is not my birthday. <laughs> we were supposed to mention this in last week's episode and we forgot yeah so i'm glad we're doing it now because this is important stuff yeah this is jake's special spooky jukey birthday halloween oh (laughs) (laughs) special spectacular episode (laughs) thank you i appreciate the shout out um i'm 21 finally i can finally go out and get a drink (laughs) i can finally drink Wait, what'd you say? 41? Oh my god, bitch. You better watch yourself. <laughs> yeah. 32. <laughs> 31. <Right>? 31. Oh. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Adding an extra year. I'm 31 years old. Yes, this is true, everybody. I know I look not a day over 16. You shut your face. <laughs> Crickets. No. <laughs> okay, so today is only a couple of days after Halloween, let's be honest. So we thought that it would be very cute, even though we're like two weeks late at this point talking about it, that um, we would talk to you about what we did on Halloween and what we did to make it an extra festive Fear the Talking Queers Halloween. Yes. Um, I got dressed up. In my spooky dookiest best, um, uh. as the Countess from American Horror Story, aka Gaga, Gaga. and I strutted my shit at the local um, Hamburger Marys. <laughs> oh my god, that's great! Yeah, you looked fabulous. Your cloak was blowing oh, in the autumn wind. The chiffon was just—I mean, look at the material. <laughs> <laughs> Joey just fully <laughs> laughed next to me. <laughs> Look at the material. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so good. We will forever quote <laughs> New York. Flavor of love and New York. Yeah. On this show. Um, yeah, that sounds fun. Did you get wasted? Um, I did get like a little, little tipsy, but not too badly. I mean, it was very low key because we actually didn't go out fully mm. until Sunday night. I know Saturday night was a party night, but a bitch had to work. And so right. I did not. And so did Joey. And so we didn't really get to go out Saturday night when everybody else went out. So Sunday night we still went out and there were still like some people and stuff, but it just felt a little more like everybody Kick was back. still. 
yeah, everybody was still kind of uh, recovering maybe from the night before. So it was pretty low key. So we just had a couple of drinks and then we're like, let's go get some waffle fries. So we, <laughs> so we left and went and got some food and then just, uh, yeah, went home. Did I, how did, What were the reviews um, from the crowd about your outfit? Oh, my God. They're like, Gaga's here. They thought I was. They thought, they I was thought you were her when you walked in. Yeah. No, no. To be honest. I mean, I had people were like, like, oh my gosh, yes. And then I had some people were like, what are you? <laughs> yeah, like, why are you dressed as scary? <laughs> somebody said, you look very dapper. And I was like, oh, thank you. Not that, like, not what dapper. are you? But I was I was also sitting down, so they couldn't see the glove because it was on the other oh, side. Okay. Then like, so they're like, why are you you're just like you're just like wearing a red outfit. <laughs> I gender <laughs> bend this costume, by the way. I love oh, to yeah. do that with my costumes. I like to gender bend. Yes. So like I usually take like my favorite female characters and turn them into like a gay boy version of, <laughs> of yeah. them. It always looks great. Your execution was spectacular. I would have known who you were right away. Thank you. Thank you so much. If somebody would have said, oh, you look dapper. You mean drop dead gorgeous, you bitch. <laughs> yes. Jealous yes. bitch. <laughs> yeah, you mean. Talented, brilliant, incredible, amazing, show-stopping, spectacular, never the same, totally unique, completely not ever been done before, unafraid to reference or not reference, put it in a blender, shit on it, vomit on it, eat it, give birth to it. Now, tell me about your your night. How was your Halloween? Well, I dressed as Pugsley from the Addams Family, and our we had a we have a group of friends, and we all did a costume together. So we had our straight friend couple. <laughs> the mortician <laughs> Gomez and then my best friend and I were Wednesday and Pugsley and then Andre also participated he was Uncle Fester uh, that's <laughs> the, the, literally this was his idea to do the Adams Family because he's been dying to be Uncle Fester for Halloween he looked perfect like perfect it looked like he was wearing a mask of Christopher Lloyd and the Adams Family it was so good it was so funny and he kept doing the faces all night and then he got drunk and it was even more so like that so we went out (laughs) to this um, arcade bar that did a whole Nightmare on Elm Street theme it was called A Nightmare on Second Street and they did it all up but they but they used multiple movie monsters they had the life-size Michael (laughs) Jackson (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. from the horror movie scary movie three <laughs> no they had the life-size michael myers life-size freddy krueger they had like a mini like chucky and like georgie from it and a uh, pennywise and all these spooky decor and it was fantastically decorated everybody was dressed up there were some amazing costumes but honestly we were the best People yes. can take pictures of us. The Meet the Adams Instagram, which is the official Instagram of like the new Adam Stanley movies, reposted our costumes. Oh my god, famous! Yes, and they had all these cute cocktails that they made specifically for the Halloween events that they were hosting at this arcade bar. So they had like a Midsommar drink, then the <gasps> glass was oh, in yes. the shape of a bear, and they had they topped it off with edible flowers. And then um, they had this drink that we kept. We got three of these big skull heads that they called the Jonestown Punch. I was like, ooh. This is a brutal title for this cocktail. (laughs) But they made it and they had four. It comes with four cups and they all drink it. 
We got four of those. We were mixing liquor. They had a Rosemary's Baby cocktail, The Exorcist. It, they just did it all up. Like it was so great and the drinks were amazing. So we had a really good time. And then on Halloween, we just ordered Chinese food. Oh, amazing. Honestly, next year, I'm, we're hang, we're doing Halloween together. God damn it. We should make it our mission. We should. Yeah. We should it's, do that. It's, it seems like a no-brainer that we should at least spend Halloween together. I know. We have to like request it off of work so that we're free all yeah. weekend. So we can just... Uh, another club. Another club. Another <laughs> club. <laughs> well, I mean, I think Halloween will probably be on a Monday next year, <gasps> correct? Ew. Ew, yes. If it was on a Sunday this year... It's probably going to be either on a Monday or if it's a leap year Tuesday, but I don't know if it is. I'm going to say it's Monday. Ew, as if. Ew, that's the worst. Like, once Halloween hit the weekend, it was like, yes. Now it's like, we have to wait five more fucking years until it hits the weekend. I know, we'll be fucking 50 by then. (laughs) 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 Um, Speaking of being reposted on social media and things like I was talking about, um, we hit 1k followers on our Instagram. Oh my god. Finally. I never thought we would see the day, honestly. <laughs> I something about the word queers, I think, in our name maybe hinders people from following. I us. think they're it like, does. People they like, don't want to be associated gay. with that. Yeah, they're like, I don't listen to Fear the Talking Queers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really exciting. And we have our merchandise available on the Fear the Talking Queers store. And as we do, it'll probably be there for a limited time only. Yeah, you know. So get it while supplies last. Go to www.beardthetalkingqueers.com and look at all of our fabulous designs. My personal favorite is one with the dead cheerleader and her underboob hanging out. Under boob yes. out. And on the back it says, we're here, we're queer, and we want to spread fear. <laughs> yes! Yay! Oh my god. So, and then of course, follow us on Instagram at Fear the talking queers. Being followed is very scary. It is. Yeah. In case you haven't guessed what we're trying to do here, we're trying to just bridge (laughs) our intro into the movie this week, which is 2014's It Follows. Woo! Yes. Oh my gosh. I genuinely love this movie. Right? It is really good. I'm very, very excited to talk about it today and get into the nitty gritty because this one, I think, requires a little more thought than uh, than it maybe gives off, you know, uh, right. in the first viewing. Yes. And watching it through a Fear the Talking Queers lens, I do have to say that I saw this movie in a whole new light. And I'm really excited to uh, get into it and talk about what I discovered Yes. Okay. Well, on that note, let's get into it. So this is It Follows. <gasps> no, it's me. Yara? Yeah. Don't open the door. See? Everything's okay. <laughs> It Follows, written and directed by David Robert Mitchell, released in 2014. Our movie begins with a young woman fleeing from her home into the street. She appears to be running from someone or something and is chased in a circle. A neighbor asks if she's okay before her dad makes his way outside to check on her. She quickly gets into her car and drives to a beach. At the beach, she calls her father and tells him that she's sorry for being so unkind to him. 
In the morning, it is shown that she was brutally murdered during the night, her leg twisted and a bone sticking out of it. We then meet Jay, played by Micah Monroe, who floats in her backyard pool while two young peeping Toms watch her through the fence. Her sister Kelly, played by Lily Seppi, invites her in to watch a movie with her and her friends. She declines, saying she has a date later. Kelly and her friends Paul, played by Keir Gilchrist, and Yara, played by Olivia Licardi, proceed to watch the movie, and when Jay greets them, it's obvious that Paul has a crush on Jay. Jay goes on a date with Hugh, played by Jake Weary, to the movies. While they're waiting in line, Jay challenges Hugh to find someone in the crowd he's envious of, and she'll guess who it is. He picks a young boy. He explains how children have innocent, carefree lives. When they're inside the theater, Hugh has to guess who Jay picks to be envious of. Hugh guesses a young woman at the entrance in a yellow dress. However, there's nobody there. Suddenly, Hugh becomes paranoid and demands that Jay and him leave the theater. On their next date, Jay and Hugh have sex in his car. She explains that when she was little, she used to daydream about what it would be like to go on dates as an adult, and suddenly Hugh chloroforms her. When Jay awakens, she finds herself tied up to a wheelchair in an abandoned parking lot. Hugh is there, and he explains to her that when they had sex, he passed on a curse to her. This curse is an entity that can only be seen by the person with the curse, which is now Jay. The entity can take the form of any person and will follow her repeatedly. In order to free herself from the curse, she must have sex with someone else. At that moment, Hugh spots a creepy naked woman walking towards them. Jay screams, and Hugh takes her and flees. Kelly plays a card game on her porch with Paul and Yara. Yara talks about her envy of Jay's annoying beauty. Paul defends Jay, saying she's nice. Just then, Hugh's car pulls up and quickly drives off, revealing Jay left on the street in shock. All right, so first we have this opening scene of of this very ominous moment that is first sort of like, what is happening here? Right. We see this girl running around her street in a circle. Girl, if you're running from something, step one, take them fucking heels off, bitch. (laughs) You don't need them red pumps to run from the killer. I know. (laughs) She's like, I'm running in style, goddammit. If I'm gonna die tonight, it's gonna be in these red pumps. Yeah, this white nighty and these red pumps. I know. This is the first of many moments in this movie that feel so anachronistic if you, are do we do you know what that means um, <laughs> no anachronistic means basically that it feels like it belongs to a different time right oh yes and there's a lot of that that happens in this movie so if, when this movie starts out this part feels very modern right I'm like okay yeah. I've seen this you, girl before the cars are recognizable the cars are recognizable she uses a cell phone you're like okay right. <laughs> in my mind I'm like okay this is 2014 you know yeah of course and so we have this you know she doesn't make it and she's like running from something that we can't see and um one of the big things that i notice in the scene too is the score which yes i think is brilliant the score was made by the composer who uses the name disaster piece and who started his career making music for video games which 100% tracks if you yeah. have ears and can hear this movie because it, it sounds like <laughs> Some of you like may a- not be able to do that. Um, <laughs> but then how are you listening to this? <laughs> but then why are you listening to us? 
um, so maybe um, yes because some of these uh, like moments actually sound like Tetris <laughs> yeah they something. do that being said I do find the score to be super memorable oh totally I think it's one of the things that really elevates this movie to kind of be a modern masterpiece of horror as some people some critics have referred to it as that just with even the atmosphere like you can very much tell in both the score and the atmosphere of the film that john carpenter was a huge influence on this movie right which honestly if you're going to be influenced by anybody in the horror world i think john carpenter is a good one to emulate for sure yeah 100 percent. especially for this movie it just works so well there are moments later that we'll get into that i'm just like oh it's very beautifully done this, this oh yeah music and the, with the, the visuals yeah and the score in this scene like that that like din, 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 din. like that sounds to me like something is walking or moving to me like like, like a almost beat. like, din, like a yeah like walking a walking beat like a walking beat yeah for yes. sure so i think that just plays brilliantly into the concept of the film and like you said earlier i think the score is something that really really elevates this movie into just being out of this world yeah because uh, the visuals also are like this quiet slow ambiance and the music heightens it to a suspenseful level and then we get this brutal visual of Miss Annie's dead body, which Annie, I thought immediately of Halloween. Of course. Of yeah. course. Absolutely. Um, but this brutal visual of her dead body on the beach, I'm like, whoa. Every time I see it, I'm like, how? Like, I mean, obviously she was murdered by something supernatural, but it's like her leg is like backwards, but bent back. I'm like, how? How? <laughs> How I did know. this even happen? It looks bizarre. <laughs> and then you do think about how did it happen, especially considering this is one of two deaths and they're very different deaths. It looks like her intestines are kind of hanging out too. Did you notice that? Yeah. It looks like there are guts, bones, flesh. Yeah. But do you know what didn't move? Those red pumps. They st- stayed right on her feet. <laughs> <laughs> then motherfucker said, I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> now is my time to shine. Yeah, maybe that's why she didn't take them off because they're glued to her feet. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be it. <laughs> that, that is it. One of the things that I was going to talk about um, being so beautiful about the, the point of view of the filmmaking. And actually, I just found out that David Robert Mitchell also made one of... Um, one of my favorite movies when I was younger that I completely forgot about until I was researching this film, which was The Myth of the American Sleepover, which I absolutely loved. So seeing this, I'm like, this is such a de- great depiction of youth. And I especially yeah. like it because the characters, the actors look like people that should be playing high schoolers, like from yeah. freshmen to seniors, but they're actually like young adults. Like they're out of high school, they're working, they go to college. Uh, or one of them does. And, yeah, but they, uh, they they do look really young, but I guess they they're not. They do look really young. But I think it's a realistic depiction of uh, how people look. I mean, that's true. I mean, we're so used to seeing in movies people who are, like, obviously too old to be playing the roles that they're playing. Like, yeah. in the real world, like, you know, Riverdale teenagers have six-packs and, you know, mm-hmm. developed, developed breasts and chests and, you know... <laughs> right. 
they're like super hot Um, yeah (laughs) and you think of what boys actually look like in high school and you're like ew greasy disgusting yeah Um, but I do like this first shot of Jay in the pool when she sees that bug crawling on her arm because mm-hmm. when she focuses in on it, I'm like, I remember so many moments being younger, like doing that, like when little things like that used to catch your attention and right, it was almost for like sure. a moment of wonder from your yeah. young imagination. I think that there's something about like the mundane quality of these scenes. Like it just feels very like small town, quiet, boring, like nothing's going on nothing exciting and i don't know there's something about that like like sort of juxtapose with how crazy the movie gets Mm -hmm. um it's like these characters are just taken completely out of the world that they initially lived in which was just sort of this simple sort of dreamlike world that they live in yeah everything is like um melancholy and soft and and like normal muted tones and um yeah very very much that um yeah and then we have we also meet miss micah monroe who i really love her she i for some reason i always thought like when i saw the previews i was like go ahead miss dakota fanning you better be working <laughs> still seriously not her. Not her. <laughs> not her sorry <laughs> yeah she's like dakota fanning Brittany Murphy and like Gwen Stefani like jumbled <laughs> up. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I really like this introduction of kind of like the evolution of sexuality, starting with like the voyeurs mm-hmm. that we have constantly throughout the film, which are these little fucking perverts just Keeping always toms. spying on her. They're disgusting. But then we also get like the developing when you develop a crush on somebody like Paul has a very innocent crush on Jay and then Jay's going out on a date and so like that's there's like three versions of like stages of sexuality like from being somebody who maybe is like looking at porn or something dirty or something you know as a little Mm -hmm. kid or something yeah and going into a crush and then a date and so all these different levels all these characters are at is intriguing right yeah and it's also kind of like again almost like what i said before like that sort of innocence of coming of age um you know that's sort of where these characters start like this is just the natural progression of you know Mm -hmm. and things are they sort of move at their own pace and you know she's going on dates because that's what girls in their 20s do whatever and then once you know the twist happens and all of a sudden her innocence is completely taken all of a sudden the world is turned upside down Right, yeah. exactly. It just is like a night and day shift where um, all of a sudden all those mundane sort of, you know, going through the motions things mm-hmm. are out the window. Yeah, yeah, they take a turn. They take a turn. Um, to further the point that you were making earlier, this is how you make a timeless film. It's oh, like bitch. there are uh, cell phones, there are cars from every decade. There is that shell compact e-reader that Yara is reading from, which I want. With, I mean, well, then you have to go to a different dimension or something because that shit does not <laughs> exist. I, I, I remember know. when this first came out, I was so confused by what the hell she had. I was like, what is this shell? Is it an iPhone? Is it an e-reader? Is it a Nook? Is it real? Is it I, fake? And I remember... I, know. I was like, not product placement. And then I was like, oh, it's not real. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And i that's one of the things that... Um, I mean, it was done absolutely on purpose. David Robert Mitchell has stated that 
part of the disorienting feeling of this movie yes. is that things are so anachronistic and things from different times do show up here. I mean, you know, you and you, you know what I noticed too, even down to the weather in this movie. Seasonless. Seasonless because you're literally watching Miss Micah Monroe walk down the street in a winter coat while somebody's across the street washing a car in their shorts and like bikini tops and then there's and she's like, like four... in a pool but then yeah like, it and looks then like fall it's yeah like, <laughs> like this world though, this world that they live in just makes no lo- like logical sense to us but I guess I that's love cool. that he disorients the audiences even yeah. in the storytelling of what this. I mean, we'll get into it, but what this monster is, it's like they we only know as much as the characters would naturally know in the real right. world. It's not like exactly. this mythos that needs to be over-explained. Um, but yes, that non-dated wardrobe, that non-dated seasonless wardrobe, and that plain hair, Mama, that's going to last this movie <laughs> a lifetime <laughs> and a half. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I just I just really like all these, ra- these touches because it makes this movie feel so much different than anything I've ever seen. You know? Yeah, even totally. Even though it does inspire nostalgia from, like, you know, other movies like John Carpenter movies, and I guess there's a lot of influence from George A. Romero in here. It still yeah. feels like its own thing. It still feels like this world is so specific to this movie. Okay, so then Miss J goes on these dates with Hugh. Yeah. Red flag. Like, he's seeing things that aren't there, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. You might want to end the day early. Uh, I do like that movie theater scene though. I think it gets it gets like yeah, a good it's effective. It gives like a good insight to um to Hugh into like where he is, especially when they play that little game. You know, he says, you know, he, he picks that young boy because yeah. he has like the rest of his life ahead of him and you know, as far as we know, um or uh, I guess not feels like point. it's almost over, I'm sure. Right, I- exactly, exactly. And he's constantly on the run, the paranoia. But I will say, he is selling it pretty well. He doesn't look overly stressed when he's on this date with with um, Jay. No, yeah. So I have a feeling that it's not. it must not be his first time having done this. Do you think it's Hugh's first time? I don't think it is. I don't know. Maybe it keeps coming back to him, and he's just like, yeah. God, I have to find somebody else. So then we have this, like, the first... I guess encounter with the fall. Fo- the I don't even know what to call it. Some people online call it it. Some people call it the follower. Some people call it the monster. The but entity. it's when the entity entity. Um, but like when they're sitting in this movie theater, and then it's you know Hugh's turn to play the game, and he turns and sees some girl that isn't there. And you, and I remember seeing this because I try to go into the. I remember going into this movie only hearing that it was very good and not knowing a single thing about it exactly and i was like what i was like okay where is this going like what does this mean you can't see this girl um but i will say that this like knowing what i know now i was like oh shit this is scary but also was that girl in the yellow dress just standing there because she shouldn't have taken that long to walk down the aisle and grab his ass so um (laughs) This, this might be one of those rare moments where the whatever it is um, stops and takes a look around because it does that a few yeah. times in the movie. It's like, hmm, what's over? What's going on up in here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have this second date when they go when they actually have sex. This shot 
of the car and the empty parking lot with the overhead light and then being lit from the inside as the camera pans in. This is one of the most exciting shots in the film. Yeah, I mean, it's super isolating and you're like, but to be honest, um, close your ears, mom, if you're listening. Like, this brings back, like, some sort of nostalgic memories of being young. And, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do in the car, (laughs) you know? Yes. Yeah, I've definitely done that. Sweat dripping in my eyes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Find a Costco. Sweat dripping off the windows. Right. The hand on the steam. (laughs) glass yes the iceberg very titanic yeah the iceberg (laughs) (laughs) the the sink shipping watching multiple people drown the sink shipping (laughs) the sink shipping from home depot (laughs) (laughs) bitch all right no okay so what that is very nostalgic i do uh, yeah it makes you feel like you're in that position of being a teen having um wild sex in the car and then um and then but what does it for me is when she's hanging out of the car playing with that weed and um she's giving this a monologue of what it was like what it was like being young and having this wonderment of like what it would be like when you were older and going on dates and how serene and this reminds me of my mom doesn't listen to the show but this reminds me of the walk home after the first time i had sex bitch i felt like it was spring break and it was one of those sunny days i literally walking home felt like the trees were lifting me up and I was like, oh my God, I have oh to God. remember this day forever because this is the day that I lost my virginity. I mean, there there is like a weird cosmic shift that happens and somebody wants that. I mean, whether it was good or bad or if you have fond memories or you have a huge distaste for your first time, like there is, you do sort of feel different. Like you sort of feel like, oh, I've, mm-hmm. I've done it. I've, I've, I've taken that that step into being an adult i'm 18 so i'm a woman exactly yes exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and um not that jay i don't because she's not a virgin in this moment she even talks about how she had sex with greg in high school i think that she is still sort of coming of age and you know she's still i mean she still lives at home like she's just going to college like yeah there is this like i think she is still coming of age here and she's talking about it and she's talking about or maybe it's she's just looking back on now that she has sort of taken that step, like what it means to her. Like she's like now living that. I'm an adult. Yeah, those fantasies that she had when she was younger, and then, and but then it's sort of it twists. She, it twists, because and she has no then idea. We don't that get her her lovely arm stroking the weed. Then it's like her unconscious arm hitting it and just yeah. dangling there. The transition, like you said, it's the the cosmic shift of your existence after this kind of moment. Right. And it's, and it's almost like everything that was like so serene about this movie, all of a sudden just is gone. Disturbed. Yeah. And the, the, the darkness comes and, and it's not Hugh's fault. I mean, it it is, but it isn't like the survival. Yeah. And thing at this point. Right. And then you're like, Oh shit. Like this here we are. Now we're on to like the, the dark part of it where everything has felt like a dream so far. This is when things sort of transition into feeling like a nightmare. Yeah. And he explains that now not only has he 
chloroformed her and tied her up, but he's also given her this curse where this entity follows her around. And obviously, this is giving me a commentary on STIs and STDs of course. that may come with sex. But this also develops like like we're all these things that we're explaining like with the wonderment of youth and this disruption of even like how you're saying the boring town and then it just turns uh, sinister in a way it's yeah. like this is also a narrative about like the energy and sometimes trauma that we can carry with us or that follows us after a sexual experience that may not yeah. be the best it's it, and the movie as it goes on serves as like a um, an expression of like desperation, excitement, the dangers anxiety. that come with sex. Yeah. yeah, anxiety, including STIs and STDs. But ultimately, to me, this feels like a warning on how like this kind of soulless, um, traumatic sex can potentially harm our spirit and our feelings of our worth and our value. Yeah, because totally. then it just gets, then they're just like, well, it used to be a special thing, but now I'm just going to have sex with whoever, like Hugh does. He's Right, exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, if we don't protect ourselves and use our best judgment when choosing to have sex, not only are we putting our health at risk, getting curses and shit, but also our energy and our sense of self, because it just it does change it changes from that whimsical soliloquy to then being um where she's just looking for people to have sex with to pass this off yeah so she was having this whimsical little monologue and where it's like everything is fantastical and you know coming of age is this big like you know the big moment in life these things that we create and then all this whole thing has shifted to where now sex is about survival and it's and yes. it's 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 grounded and it's and it's gritty, gritty and you know you know so then we get the first encounter with the the monster i guess we could say and um you know Hugh's over here he's trying to he is trying to help her in a way. He's trying to give her the best possible chance at survival. Yeah. Like he's telling he, her at least what he knows of this, right. how to survive this, in order right. for her to at least get to the next level of this. Right, exactly. But, yeah. but that also, in a way, helps him because the longer she survives, the longer he has to. The longer to, he survives, that's he true. Sur- yeah, so, I mean, it's hard for me to like sit here and like blame Hugh and say he's bad. I don't think he's a bad guy, and I don't even think they think he's a bad guy. No. But... You know, it's just like un- like an unfortunate luck of the draw. That, Sorry. That Jay yeah. was the one picked, you know. Uh, so it had to be somebody. It's it's survival of the fittest. It's either you or me. Kill or be killed. And yeah. you gotta do what you gotta I, do. I, approaching this movie this time around, was wondering. I was like, okay, I'm gonna pay attention to the shape that the monster takes form in. Because mm-hmm. this first one is this naked lady who's just creepily walking toward them that and to me because it is a they're making her like ominous and scary that i was thinking that this is like a the manifestation of like her now disrupted sexuality yeah never see sex the same way again exactly it's like the depiction of like a naked woman just walking through in public almost is like her her sexuality has been exposed in a way yeah you know or exploited her sex yes. has been exploited, and this woman is sort of that representation. So that does sort of call into question the forms that the monster takes. And I did read yeah. a couple things online about this. Is like some people think that it is 
in their subconscious, like Jay's or Hughes or whoever is infected with this, is it's that is what's projected onto the monster. So in this moment where she now, yeah, I mean, in a way, has been sort of sexually assaulted since she's been under false right. pretenses, you know. Exactly. Had sex with somebody who now has, you know, cursed her. Um, yeah, she, her, her sexuality and body has been exploited by this person, and that's what that might represent. Um, yeah. But I do, I do find this scene very disturbing. And you know, you see just this woman walking slowly towards her, and the only light that's really on her is from Hugh's flashlight. You know, yeah. The way it's filmed, these really dark darks, like these really, this rich contrast that we have, the shadows are so dark that it, it's kind of, it still keeps that whimsical tone, even though it's kind of turned. It's almost like when you're in Oz and then you end up in the witch's enchanted forest. Like, like, (laughs) it's just a, it's just a shift. It still feels whimsical, but it's now on the opposite side of the light spectrum. Right, right, right. And then Hugh kind of explains a little bit about the rules that he knows or what he's gathered from the monster so far. So it's very slow, but it's not dumb. And mm-hmm. all, and he sort of advises her to never be in a room without more than one exit. Um, so like I said, he's giving her her best chance of survival with whatever he's been able to pick up along the way. But I'm like, would I fully believe this in this moment? I don't know. I feel like there'd be so much going on that I don't know if I would. I would have a lot of questions. I'd be like, is he like making this up? But then like the woman appearing. His woman. Like what what would if somebody was faking this moment, I'd be like, well, what is her part in it? What does she get out of this? Who's this bitch? Yeah. Yeah. Who's this woman? (laughs) You know? So I don't know. I mean, obviously it would be incredibly disorienting for something like this to happen, but I don't know. Cause she, I mean, does she believe it right away? I don't know if she does. I guess she doesn't because she kind of... I think she's just in shock that she yeah. can't really stop to take it all in. True, 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 she's true, just true. Like, what the fuck is going on? She probably doesn't even realize that the woman's there. She's just like, what? In this yeah. state of daze and confusion. Right, totally. And then, you know, she gets dropped off in front of her house, in front of her, her sister and her friends, and just left in the middle of the street. And This scene is kind of... Uh, uh, like scary to me you know because this is a what a horrific sight just to see this woman in her underwear crying being thrown out of the car by a man like oh my god this is a horrible situation and the way that this movie is filmed like with this big wide lens and this it feels very expanded yeah and like you're seeing these characters in full like you're seeing them in full all the time from afar it's almost like you're a voyeur looking in on this and like watching this from like across the street and you're like whoa whoa yeah it kind of brings it almost feels a little bit like a rape allegory too like you know Mm -hmm. this looks like she's been sexually assaulted and just left in the middle of the street by an abuser or something like that and so it is horrifying to see and you know obviously they have a the appropriate reaction running to save her because she's you know either gonna get run over or i don't know what but i don't know it is cra- <laughs> yeah <laughs> it yeah, is, yeah it, it's like a horrifying sight for them to see so i understand real life horror yeah real life sexual horror in this even though i will say um that was not the original intent of this movie in that this movie was inspired more by david robert mitchell's nightmares as opposed to 
to always being a story that was going to be about some sort of evil sexual transmitted disease. Like it was definitely conceptualized from his nightmares of just being followed as like, or like some sort of anxiety dreams he would have as a kid where he was being followed. And um, so that was the initial inspiration. And then it didn't come later when he was like, well, how, how do these people pass this curse along to each other? And he's like, well, how do people get close sex? So there it is. That's probably what makes this movie so good because I think anytime an artist making a horror movie is inspired by their own nightmares, what scares them. I think that they're able to translate it so much better to the audience. Yeah. This feels like it would be scary to me. Like this feels like it would be a nightmare to me as well. Oh, for sure. And he went in. What's funny, what it did to me was I started having nightmares about this after I saw this movie. Like I was, ah. I was, I was actively having nightmares that I was being followed by this thing. Like it, this one really affected me. I will say. Yeah, yeah, it can get you there for sure. All right, well, why don't we keep going? Okay. The police question Jay about Hugh and the naked woman. Her neighbor Greg, played by Daniel Zavato, watches on from his house. The next day, Jay's mom confides to Greg's mom that Hugh is not his real name, and he lied to Jay about his identity. Greg's mom asks if Jay caught an STD from the encounter, but she did not. As far as they know. Can you imagine on top of everything, like, she also gets an STD from this? (laughs) Yeah. I have a spiritual monster haunting me, but also chlamydia. (laughs) (laughs) Jay examines her body in her bathroom, and we see the young peeping Tom watching her through the window. While at school, Jay spots an old woman in a hospital gown outside her classroom window, seemingly walking slowly towards her. Greg notices her distraction and watches on, concerned as Jay rushes out of the classroom. Everyone around her does not appear to notice the old woman who is now approaching Jay in the hallway. Jay confides to Paul and Kelly about the curse and the old woman at school. Paul and Yara stay over at their house to provide strength in numbers. Paul sleeps on the couch and Jay joins him as she can't sleep. They reminisce about when they were growing up sharing their first kiss and finding porno magazines, resulting in a sex ed talk from their parents. Suddenly, a window in the kitchen breaks, but no one is there. Paul goes to wake up Kelly, leaving a paranoid Jay alone. She investigates the kitchen. She finds a disheveled young woman walking towards her. She pees on herself as she walks. The girl looks like her clothes have been ripped off of her. And her juicy boobs hang out. (laughs) Jay runs to tell the others, but none of them can see anything. Suddenly, a tall man with dark eyes walks into the room. Jay runs from the house to a nearby playground where her friends eventually catch up to her. Greg, who saw Jay flee her house, also catches up with the group. Jay explains to all of them that she needs to find Hugh. Greg offers to drive them. So first off, this opening part raises a lot of questions that this movie never answers to this section. It's when Greg and his mom are watching the police cars in front of Jay's house. And Greg's mom makes this comment that they're a mess. Like, she's like, ugh, that family's such a mess. And then the next day, she's over there getting all the information. She's she's like, Like, I have to know what's going on. 
I wonder why they're a mess to her. I wonder what their history is. They don't seem very weird, but I wonder if it has to do with her dad. This this mysterious looming figure of her, you know, of her dad that's not around anymore. I mean, we we hardly see any parents in this movie, and that's one of the things a lot of people bring up is they're like, where the Mm -hmm. fuck are all the parents in this movie? They don't really. We never see their faces, even when they're in the movie. Yeah, and so. Um, we can, we'll talk about more about that, I'm sure. But yeah, so I feel like maybe that has to do. I bet maybe her dad was like a drunk or abusive or something, and the police right. were always being called or something. Because I, also they, they they somebody noticed in one of the articles that I read that the mom is always drinking something. Mm. Like she's seen drinking a cup of coffee, but then she's also seen drinking like a glass of wine. And they're like, her mom seems to be maybe not totally present in mm. the now like she right. seems very distracted we hardly ever we never see her face she's always has her back turned toward the kids and she's always drinking something usually an alcoholic beverage and so it does send us to me and like where's the dad you know even later this will all get brought up but it's like where's her dad and what happened that led yeah. them to be kind of dysfunctional or a mess right as greg's mom says what's the story it seems to me like she's maybe afraid of her dad which you know we'll we get more of in the end but i bet there has to be some sort of implication that he was violent or scary or i don't know what an abuser of some sort right yes one of the moments that sort of stands out to me jay's kind of like looking at her own body in the bathroom and this again is sort of i feel like plays on that sort of sexual assault thing like i feel like she she's like examining her own body as if it's not hers anymore. Um, and like, I don't feel like she's sort of thinking about this you know, the monster that's coming after her at this moment. She's sort of dealing with the monster that's like, you know, that she thinks he is. Yeah. yeah. And w- like having to deal with her body. And I know a lot of, a lot of women that go through traumatic experiences like that do feel a sort of, disassociation with her body or Lady Gaga talks about it all the time about how you know she has this like trauma response and that she thought her body was like worthless and um it may yeah. like there's that in you we see that in this scene I think it's so just beautifully done with with Micah Monroe she's like sort of looking at herself and she like looks into her, her panties pretty much at herself and mm-hmm. it's almost as if she's like looking at it for the first time I don't know. It's like I, she's compartmentalizing what she just went through. Yeah. By examining her yeah, body and the, right. the places of her body that were the most affected. Sure, of course. And then a jump scare when a, a ball hits the window. Yes, then we see that horrible kid like outside the window. Ew, it's so disgusting. And then we get her at school and this whole like you know, very Lori and Halloween yeah. happens where she starts to notice this old woman walking toward her and <sighs> the slow, the slow stalking is so much like the OG slashers. Yeah. Um, but the nonchalance of like the characters faces, like this old woman just looks like this woman having a bad day is terrifying to me. I am so scared of this. Look. You hate this. This is the scariest scene in the movie to me. Oh my god! I don't know why I'm so scared of this woman. I think she's so scary, and she's just walking. She's just an old woman, but I don't know. There's something about her being so out of place in the school, and she's like in a hospital gown, and she's like just slowly is bandaged. Oh, I don't know why she freaks me out. 
this scene like sends chills down my spine. And then once the music starts getting pumping, that dun, 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 and then mm-hmm. she comes around the corner in the hallway. Yes. In and the it's, hallway. Because at first, like, I think Jay's kind of like, that's very strange that this woman is here, whatever. I'm going to get out of this situation. And then all of a sudden, this thing is following her. And then this is when it's confirmed that something... She's got the curse. Yeah, that something is actually following her. And um, it's going to appear Especially in when she's like, hello, hello. And those girls are just looking at her like, yeah, um, um, hi. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, bitches. And um but I don't know, then this woman just walking towards her and like her that close up on her face. I don't know. She's terrifying to me. And so I'm sure she's a sweet lady, but my god, she freaked me out a lot. <laughs> I'm thinking about her, I'm like, I wonder what she could possibly represent in the storytelling as far as right. like maybe a metaphor. I mean, maybe yeah, she's sort of reflecting on something like this woman is is looks close to death that's kind of rude to say because i'm sure this woman isn't but um <laughs> she might be or just maybe just like the the projection of her mortality on this woman oh yes i'm sorry to be ageist i don't mean to be ageist i'm sure this is a very lovely lady but she scared the fuck out of me <laughs> you're you hate old people we understand <laughs> be honest I have, a t- I have a fear of them you're you have a fear of getting old yourself right that would be my biggest fear. I'm sure that's what it is. I'm I don't ever want to look like this old prune. I know, exactly. Yes, wreathe the Botox in my face currently. <laughs> yeah. I think that I would do the same exact thing that Jay is doing and that I would invite all of my friends over to spend the night with me so that I could just be around people. And then we have these more talk about these like early sexual experiences that we experience as kids. Your first kiss, the discovery of porn, yeah. the sex education talks with your with your parents. I think that we also get to know Paul a little more. And you just really yeah. learned that that boy is so desperate. <laughs> He's so desperate. He's so delusional. He's such a loser. And he has like this fat crush on Jay. I don't think that he is a very sympathetic character personally. I think that he sort of... I don't either. Exploits her situation a little too much. And pushy. I think he's... Yeah, selfish. I I think this is the beginning of like where I start feeling less sympathy for Paul. And he becomes very pushy and very weird, you know. Also, there are some moments here that are... Again, that sort of timeless, like, what time do we live in kind of thing. So not only is, oh, like, the TVs that they are watching or, like, these, like, kind of really... Black and white 50s these, TVs. Yeah, what the fuck is that? And then also, like, the talk of porno mags. And that's not the first time porno magazines come up in this movie or are shown in this movie. I'm like, that's such a yeah. funny dated thing, like, porno magazines. When, you know, now we have the internet at our fingertips. And um, yeah. so that's just like another thing adding to this sort of anachronistic world that they live in, like where they talk about porno mags and watch black and white yeah. TV while Miss Yara over there has a futuristic seashell, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So this, so it shows up again as this girl who looks like she's gone through some sexual trauma. Yeah. And I can't help but to think, obviously, this represents Jay's sexual trauma, especially after her, the way she's looking at her body now. Yeah. Um, And so looking at this girl with, like, her tit hanging out and, like, one sock on, taking a piss on herself, it's like, this girl looks like she's been 
throw it. And I do think that one of the things that maybe drives the creature is instilling fear into into whoever it's coming after because it doesn't in this moment it's sort of just standing there but it's like it almost like relishes in the fact that it's like scaring the fuck out of her it's not like just it's not walking towards her at that moment it does like to scare her in a way yeah you know and so it sort of adds a more dynamic to the character where it's like even though it is following her and will always be walking towards her it still wants to also, on top of that, scare the hell out of her. And fe- probably feeds off of her fear. This, the scariest part to me, like, yours was the old lady. This is the tall man for me. Oh, like, same. This is the other it's moment. It's so scary without being a jump scare. Like, this is something oh. that's genuinely scary. Because none of the other characters are aware of this monster. But yet, it comes up right behind Yara. Oh. She's like, what? And it just, like, comes forward. It's oh, so it is, scary and it chilling. It sends chills. I remember seeing it for the first time in theaters. And I was like white knuckling <gasps> my armchair I was like holy yes. shit that fucking scared the fuck out of me genuinely scary and his face the way they've done his makeup it, yes. it's, it's so scary it comes at a time when Jay is the most emotionally vulnerable yeah. when she's crying and sobbing like you said it's instilled this fear in her so now it's coming at her as like this looming male presence uh, almost like representing like when men prey on women and go after them. I'm like, ooh. Ooh, it's God. Scary. It, it's so scary. I just hit myself in the face with my microphone. I'm so scared. And um, He's seven foot seven. Yes, and he was at one point, according to like, I don't know, Guinness Book of World Records or something, uh, one half of the tallest set of twins ever. Oh my God, that's nuts. I know. And he died just a couple years he ago. He did. R.I.P. to this man. R.I.P. Mike Lanier. Oh. Sweet, sweet angel. I'm sure he's slam dunking in the heavens. <laughs> in the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do love, again, like this constant play of like disrupted youth when it comes to this trauma because Jay, in order for herself to feel safe, she runs to a playground. And it's kind of like the, this thing that we're constantly talking about on this show. And it's like, we just love things that make us feel nostalgic, that make us yeah. feel like we're kids again. I mean, it builds collagen in our face, for crying out loud. So <laughs> we love this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, she she runs to somewhere that's comforting to her. Um, and she runs and just sits on the swing because she's like, this is probably a safe space for her. You know, when she was a kid, yeah. I don't know, something along those lines, but it makes sense. I also, like, it's it's kind of that opposite thing. Like, you know, when we're surprised that the horror and movies are taking place during the daytime. Yeah. Like, that happens in here as well. But this sort of idea that they feel safer in, like, a wide open space than they do in their own homes. It's like right. Kind of like a reverse effect. Totally, but it does leave her vulnerable, like all around her, though. Yeah, I'm like, this monster can come out from any angle now, girl. Yeah. She's just, I'm just gonna sit on the swing and calm myself down. Bitch, you better get on that merry-go-round and start going around in circles. <laughs> Can't catch me. <laughs> oh my gosh, but then we get, um, the, I mean, not the introduction. We've already kind of met him, but we get Greg introduced into the group, and I'm like, ugh, Greg is so gross and annoying. 
I don't like Greg. Sleazy. I think he's kind of cute, though. I think he has pretty eyes. Oh, I think he's so greasy. Oh, what about Ski Ulrich and Scream? Ew! I'm just kidding. Are you kidding? <laughs> <You're> <laughs> he looks more gelled. <laughs> this one looks greasy. Okay. I think he's crispy. Cute. Yeah, Billy Lewis' mm. hair looks crispy. Yeah, it looks crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> it looks I want some fried chicken now. <laughs> I was like, I want Top Robin. <laughs> <laughs> he's sort of sleazy, though. Like, you get it right away, especially because he checks out every single girl. Oh, in this yeah. Movie. Oh, it's so gross. And I'm like, Including Ew. Yara, who yeah. farts. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who has, no. <laughs> who has a n- normal human bodily function. Like, how could he ever find that sexy? <laughs> but also, this park um, just, again, makes me think of Halloween. Honestly, it makes me think of Halloween Kills. I was like... <laughs> yeah, I was like, where's Lindsay? <laughs> <laughs> just Kyle Richards with her, her bag of bricks. <laughs> I think this is the one thing about this movie where I'm like, okay, like... I mean, obviously, the whole thing is a fantasy, but where they're all like, I 100% believe you, and I'm going to help. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing. I know, that's what, my thing about Greg, is that he's sort of an opportunist in this situation. Like, I don't know what he wants to get out of this other than hanging with these girls, but he doesn't really believe her. I don't think he does. No. I think that he's taking full advantage of this girl being totally emotionally vulnerable yeah, yeah. him like, greg Man- and paul like a, are what competing. manson used to do he's dangerous yeah. absolutely and so he uh shoots his shot and they're like great you have a car let's get in it first i gotta go find hugh oh yeah let's go find him yeah let's go find him okay jay and her friends investigate the house hugh rented with his fake name they find a high school photo of him through the school they're able to find out his real name is jeff they're able to track him down at his real address. Jeff explains to the group that he got the curse from some girl he had a one-night stand with. He explains that she has to pass it on because if it catches her, it will kill her and will go after the previous person who had the curse and go down the line from there. He says she can buy some time by running from the entity as it only ever slowly walks. Greg decides to take the group to his family's remote beach house. As they drive, Kelly asks if Jay has thought about passing on the curse. We have like a lot of like long driving scenes in this in this section. I think it's giving us like a Hitchcock. <laughs> oh yeah, almost like Hitchcock, but what am I trying to say? I feel like the first half of the movie, almost like we said, we have said this like three or four times now, has this very like dreamy suburban quality to it. And even though like Jay's Jay and Kelly's house seems a little like trashy, like looks like there's kind of like <laughs> you know, I don't know, garbage in their backyard. I don't know. <laughs> They look a little like white trash. Yeah. Right. And now it seems like they're going into like the the bad part of town, you know, and yeah. things are getting more and more run down. And as they, they talk about eight mile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as they yeah, as they like continue their search for this, like the world is getting seedier and darker and grittier and uh, not as friendly. So um, then they get to this house and um I, one of the things I read about this house, which is really interesting, is just the layout of the house. It's called the Four Square, which I guess is an ideal location for somebody running away from something because there's always two doors. Like, like the house is essentially like four sections, and there's always two doors, so easily um, escapable. Oh, okay. That would have made for a good chase scene. 
Yeah, exactly. Just running in circles in the house. <laughs> Investigating the house, we see Greg checking out Yara. We see the dirty mags, the porno mags that Paul finds. And they look like they're from the 80s. I'm on not you trying to pass on this curse through paper. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to give it to, to Miss March right here. <laughs> if I come on Miss March, will she get the curse? <laughs> <laughs> And trap it by sticking the pages together. <laughs> yeah. I love how they're looking for him and Yara's like looking through the canned goods. Like, I, bitch, <laughs> he's not in there. He's not in there. So when they finally find Jeff and he's explaining to I got this through a one night stand and he's like, all you have to do is pass it on to somebody. He makes this comment that it should be easy for her to find somebody to sleep with because she's a girl. I mean, that's probably more of a comment on men than it is on women. Men are desperate for women. Anybody who it, that gives some loser dude attention, they'll they'll be ready to go. You know, men are stupid and will fuck anything that gives them the time of day. And then we get a little bit of comedy here too, which kind of lightens the melancholic mood of this whole movie. When Jeff spots that girl walking home from soccer practice, he's like, you see that girl right there? And everyone's like, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, yes. That's what <laughs> that part is very yeah, funny. Yeah. But that brings up something that I notice in this section, especially in this, like, the school scene. The way that they sort of film it, it's almost like the camera is just, like, panning in a circle, right? And we're just... But everybody yeah. is, like, almost like frozen like it's just like vignettes of people like statue people but they are humans except for one girl who is walking towards the camera that's such an interesting technique that they're using to you know keep us as an audience playing along on our toes yeah yeah we constantly see that through windows and from afar where everyone's kind of just frozen in time doing small things and there's just one person always walking toward walking towards the camera and you're like and it's never like specified whether that's real is that really the monster or is it just somebody walking and that's you know part of the horror of the whole situation in general is is not knowing what this thing can be or who it can turn into but i think it's really fun having us as the audience also participating in this because you're constantly like oh my god it's coming for them it's coming for them and then you know they leave the scene and then it's like it has to catch up and so um i know i really like the scene but i really notice it in this school scene when they're panning around in a circle and all the students and whoever are just like sort of sitting or talking but they're not moving except for that one girl walking towards the camera. So I love things like that in this movie. And then they're like, all right, let's go to my family's lake house or beach house or whatever it is. And again, these parents could care less where their, where their kids go. But again, it's that, it's that smart move to put your literal back to the coast because, you know, I'm assuming this thing can't come by water. So um, at least you'll be seeing it. I know. I think I would fly out of the country. But <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I David Robert Mitchell said that he's like, I don't see why it wouldn't be able to board a plane and fly because you Not know boarding a plane. Everybody's everybody's trying to like you know get the loopholes in this movie. Pe- like people have been desperately analyzing this movie for years now and are like, well, what happens about this? What happens if I go here? Or it's like, and he's like, yeah, well, what am I? What is this thing capable of? Right, exactly. And the two that I think come up a lot are like, well, what if I flew to Europe? 
or you know to a different country and he's like well he can probably just walk onto a plane it's not like people are going to check his ticket and then um but what if you beat it he's going to get on the next one the next right. flight out why not <laughs> of course red eye and then the other one <laughs> is whether you can transmit it through same sex sex and he's like absolutely oh, oh yeah totally blood semen yeah yeah it's all the same it, it's just it. the act of sex well let's see what else happens <laughs> <laughs> The group gets to Greg's house, where he teaches Jay how to use a gun. The group sits by the water, where Jay notices Greg looking at Kelly in her bikini. The entity takes on the appearance of Yara and begins to attack Jay, grabbing her by her hair. Paul hits the invisible entity with a chair, and it throws him to the floor, scratches appearing on his stomach. Jay shoots it, and it falls, but proceeds to get right back up. It then takes the appearance of the tall man. Then, a creepy, screaming version of the young peeping Tom. It then appears as a young girl as Jay escapes in Greg's car and drives away. She doesn't get far before crashing into a cornfield. Bitch. Really? When Jay awakens, she's in the hospital, a bandaged wound on her head and a cast on her arm. The group is in the room sleeping. Before she's released, Jay decides to pass the curse on to someone else. She sleeps with Greg in her hospital bed in hopes of passing the curse on to him. Paul is heartbroken after finding out that Jay was with Greg. Greg goes to visit Jay, but is stopped by Kelly, Yara, and Paul. They ask him if he's seen anything, but he says he hasn't. At night, Jay looks out the window to see Greg walking down the street to his house. When he gets to his front door and finds it locked, he breaks the front window and enters the house. Jay then figures out that it has taken the appearance of Greg. Jay runs over to the house yelling for Greg. She makes her way upstairs and at the end of the hallway, she sees it has taken on the appearance of Greg's mom and it is knocking on Greg's bedroom door. Greg opens his door and it jumps on top of him. Jay peeks into his room and sees it on top of Greg, raping his lifeless body. Jay flees the neighborhood in her mom's car, knowing it will now be after her again. Oh Ugh. my god. Wow. Action-packed this section. It is. This is it's ramping up. Okay, in the beginning, when Jay is learning how to shoot this gun, there's some weird dialogue that doesn't feel like it goes together. I'm like, what does this mean? And again, it's that move that family mystery that we have no idea about Greg says sucks sticking around when everyone's gone home and Jay says it's a bit lonely and I'm assuming they're talking about the beach house right? Sucks sticking around when everybody's gone home yeah cause I'm like I'm assuming that these houses are mostly empty and that's why he chose to go there uh, I, so I, I was like is he talking about that? but then she says it's a bit lonely and Greg says I live across the street you know and Jay goes, I remember. And he says, I guess I should have been nicer to you. I'm like, what? Yeah. What, this, what are they talking about? I mean, like I said, like they obviously have some past. Like she she mentions later that she slept with Greg in high school. So maybe he treated her just as badly. You know, maybe she has a history of men treating her badly. So. And then I was thinking, did he mean like sucks sticking around and everyone's gone home as if like they're because they are out of high school that maybe their friends went back home as in back to school and maybe this is summer. And so Jay's like, it's lonely because you like we were talking about earlier, like 
this town seems very desolate. And so yeah. it's like, maybe that's what they mean. He's like, oh, well, I live across the street. And she's like, I remember. And then he says, I guess I should have been nicer to you. I don't know. I guess it is cluing us in on their history together in high school. but Yeah, but that first line doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me at all. At all. I don't know. It's kind of bizarrely written. It's, it's weird. It's weird. So then we get them at on the beach. And this is when it's like real action picking up yeah. with the entity. Like it's getting aggressive. Yeah, it's strutting down the beach. Um, it should have shown up as Pam Anderson, to be honest. And <laughs> I know it's running in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it takes the shape of Yara, which. But I, well, I, what I do like about that is that it does make us question as the audience. We're like, wait, is that Yara? Or because yeah. we don't see, they don't really show her because she's in the water at that point. We hear splashing, but it could be. Anything, it could be anything bird. but because we see yara in the background walking toward them you're like oh it's just yara and then she's like you guys should really get in the water and you're like oh, it's not yara it's it oh my god you know what i did read a weird theory like i don't agree with all of this person's theory but i did read a reddit theory which i thought was interesting and okay. let me know what you think was that the entity also takes the form of people who it's uh been after before and somebody oh. was saying that maybe Yara was after Yara and that she is sort of passed it on to a few other or to somebody else. And that that's why I was like, hmm, that'd be interesting. And that she just hasn't disclosed that she also knew about it. So this is to me what I kind of feel because like we were saying, this is when the action picks up. This is when it gets a little more aggressive. Yeah. And to me, taking the shape of Yara, he did warn Jay that this thing could take shape of people that she knows yes. and so there's that but I think that taking the shape of Yara um, this is someone who has expressed envy toward Jay's looks and mm. the first thing that it does in the shape of Yara is grab her by her hair which is a very feminine aggressive thing to do I feel Ooh, like yeah. just based on That's the girl true. fights I've seen in my lifetime oh my God. So, <laughs> so I think because then also this is also the part when we see it go from Yara to the tall man, which I said was kind right. of representing this looming male presence, and then to the little peeping Tom. Yeah. And so it's almost like these people that are like, even though Yara is, you know, her friend, just these people that are kind of after her in a way. Sure. Or, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe Yara, it's her jealousy that like is projected it's, on. Yeah. Like she's like, oh, your sister's so pretty. It's a, it's annoying. It's annoying. You know? So, I, I don't think she's Jay's friend necessarily. She, to me, she seems more of, of Kelly's friend than she does yeah. Jay's friend. She's just sort of there along for the ride. I mean, shit, she's not, yeah. she's not really contributing much either. She's looking for, you know, Hugh and the canned peaches. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, seriously, she's not contributing much. She's just sort of a tag along. So, I can see that. That's a good. Ooh, that's a good theory. I like that. Right. And then, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, whenever we bring guns into the equation, uh, you know, things are going to go awry. And so um, I do like yeah. this scene. So, like, the, you know, the, the entity attacks them, knocks Paul literally over, which, like, leaves, like, these, like, bruises on him or some sort of marks. And then, you know, Jay, she takes out that gun and she just starts 
you know, lighten up the beach while Greg is running <laughs> towards the, the shack. Um, I think that part is really fun because he, again, like they can't see this thing. Only she can see it. <laughs> and so she's just shooting wherever. And um, yeah. you're like, oh, my gosh. The bullets are coming right at him. Yeah. It's, it's action packed. Um, but do we do get to unpack sort of what this thing is capable of because it can be slowed down with a gunshot but then it gets right back up so you can shoot it and it can it can even though other people can't see it it can still harm other people if it gets in right exactly it's still like it's still like a physical being like it can still be touched it can obviously touch other people um so that again we're, we're learning more about this thing so now we've learned that it can't die also that it can make noise because that little kid's screaming. You're like, oh, this has mostly been a silent little little monster at this point. But <laughs> Wait, he's off. Can I tell you that the synopsis thought that this little boy was Paul? <laughs> what? They're like, it then takes the shape of Paul. I was like, no, it doesn't. No, dead, That's dead, not Paul. Dead. That's the little peeping boy. Okay, so she crashes the car. And you're immediately like, oh, shit. That's not good. Now she's knocked out. Is the thing going to get her at this point? Luckily, it doesn't. I'm like, wow, they must have worked really fast to get her out of there, you know, to get her to the hospital by the time this thing caught up to them. Now she's in the hospital, and this part freaked me out. Not freaked me out, but I was like, this is pretty suspenseful. When she's lying there in the hospital, and she hears, like, footsteps coming down the corridor, and it's like, again, that just anxiety of, like, is is this a... Is this gonna be it? Is this gonna be it? Now she's sort of trapped in this hospital. She's cornered. She's like, you know, strapped up to things. Like, if that thing were to walk through the door, she would be fucked. You know? Yeah. So, I think that's a really effective moment where you're like, oh no, how long has she been in this hospital room? How long, you know, has it been enough time to where this thing is able to catch up to her? Um, I don't know. I really like that part. I think that's really good. But she ultimately decides to pass it on and we get this really cool moment where we're going down the hospital corridors and peeking through windows and we get the locker room where this nurse is flirting with a doctor and then we get like these young boys in the room talking to their dad and then we get fucking literally literally i was like wow i was like i can't believe you just fuck in a hospital room like that like what is this like a conjugal prison visit in a hospital gown with a bandaged bloody forehead and a cast and he's like yeah baby let's fuck well first of all honestly i'd fuck greg too because he's kind of gross and i'd hope he'd get the curse and die but also like in this moment if like the purpose of this act of having sex with him is per- is like transactionary, right? I'd be like, don't kiss on me, don't touch me, just don't take your shirt off. No, just put it in, take it out a few times, and you know, whatever. But like, we don't have to like make love or whatever right now no. that you're doing. Yeah, like, ew, get off me, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And then we get this weird scene where that I thought maybe could have been taken out there are some things where i'm like maybe this shot could have been taken out just to speed it up a little bit Hmm. um but this scene with greg laughing at a cafeteria table flirting with girls but i think that might actually be important oh okay why do you think that well because okay here's my theory we see that greg hasn't been attacked yet and a couple days have gone by 
Okay. And they're like, and she's like, you really haven't seen anything yet? And he's like, no, I haven't seen anything. And they're like, kind of confused. Like, he's like, yeah, it's not following me. I wonder if he actively gave one of those girls, if he like fucked one of those girls to buy himself time to make it seem like, oh no. And then she died. Yeah. And that's what gave him a couple more days. Like, well, I wish they would have expanded that idea sure but I, I wonder if that was implied or like if that is something that you there's like a lot of implications throughout the story sure so exactly probably you're probably right that probably is more important than how i saw it like what what is the purpose of this shot and like to me it's like oh he's definitely like hooked up with he definitely hooked up with one of these girls after in order to buy himself time and to make it look like this thing isn't real and maybe not to Maybe to like ease Jay's anxiety or maybe just to make her or I don't know, for his own security. I don't know. But right. something about it makes me feel like he slept with one of these girls and bought, bought himself time as to the reason why days have gone by and Greg hasn't been attacked. Because they're kind of like, why is this thing taking forever to yeah. get to you? Well, if he did, she died. Because then yeah. we get this moment where it's back after him. And it takes a shape as himself and also his mom, which I'm like, wow, those are two very um, personal things for him. Whereas some of Jay's visions are people that she's never seen before. His are very like, it's himself and yeah. his mom, which is kind of like, wow. I know. It is convenient for her, though, at this point that she can see it like when it's after somebody else. <laughs> yeah. She sees it walking down the street. Oh, oh. someone's got Ooh. it. <laughs> Someone's got the clap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but my question here is, why is the girl in the beginning, Annie, so mangled? And Greg just looks like he's gotten the life fucked out of him. Yeah, yeah, it definitely happens in two very different ways. Yeah, and you know, the synopsis was also different in this scene. more sort of detailed, like a Nightmare on Elm Street, Johnny Depp death, where Mm. Jay is seeing him through windows and he can't hear her because he's on the phone and I was like wow this is a lot of detail for something that's not in the movie (laughs) so I was like um that's kind of an interesting concept it kind of is sort of Nightmare on Elm Street ish in a in a way right yeah um Nancy running across the street and all that like yeah but I was like I wonder if that's like an alternate scene I have the DVD of this and there is literally nothing on there this scene, though, this shocking imagery is just as shocking as a girl in the beginning, but it's mostly because this woman, who's supposed to be his mother, is I mean, raping his lifeless body. It's gross. Yeah, with her, yeah, she opens the door with her titty out, and she just, whoa, just pounces. I struggle, like, figuring out this one. Like, what, is, what does that mean? Um... I'm not exactly sure why it took the form of his mom and then raped him to death. But um, yeah, that, that one's always puzzled me. I kind of wish that maybe they would have given us a, maybe like a really cool quick shot of what this thing can do, how it was able to pull off mangling that girl in the beginning. I'm like, I would have rather seen that, especially with a character like Greg. It would have been more satisfying yeah. to see, but I'm like, whatever. It's scary, I guess, still, so I'll yeah. deal with it. Yeah, same. Yeah, same. What can you do? Whatever. It, ha- it happened. It follows. It happened. That's the sequel. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, even though <laughs> I kind of complain about 
the length of this movie, it does go rather fast. Like, where are it we is. at the end? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So let's. Why don't we finish it? Jay drives to the woods near the ocean and falls asleep. When she awakens in the morning, Jay spots three young men on a boat. She undresses and goes into the water, hoping that she can sleep with one of the men and can pass on the curse to buy herself more time. Back at home, Paul visits Jay and offers to sleep with her, but she rebuffs him for his own protection. Paul then comes up with a plan to kill it. As they all leave the house to put his plan into action, Jay sees it on her roof appearing as a naked old man. The group goes to a deserted swimming pool, hoping to lure it into the water, and then electrocuting it with electrical devices they plugged in and placed around the pool. Jay, being the bait, gets into the pool. When she finally spots it, she doesn't want to tell the group what shape it has taken on. It has figured out the plan and starts throwing the electrical devices into the water to kill Jay. She is struck in the head by one of the devices. It continues to throw devices at her, and we now see it as a man. Paul attempts to shoot it blindly, but accidentally wounds Yara. Kelly manages to get a sheet over it, and Paul manages to shoot it in the head. It falls into the water, and as Jay tries to escape the pool, it tries to grab her leg. Paul shoots it in the head again, and Jay gets out. He asks if she sees it, and when she looks into the water, a gush of red blood fills the pool. At home, Paul and Jay finally have sex. In Jay's bedroom, we see an old family photo and notice their father was the entity at the pool. We then see Paul drive down to a rundown part of Detroit where some prostitutes hang out. Yara in the hospital reads from a book that torture causes pain and wounds. This physical agony distracts the mind from mental suffering until death. But the most terrible agony is the certainty of death. Sometime later, Jay and Paul are walking down the street hand in hand. Behind them, a person is following, but they never notice. The end. Mmm. All right. Okay. So this first moment that happens in this section, I think is probably one of the most memorable of this movie. I mean, I you know, I feel like Joey, you know, here he sees a lot of horror movies with me, but... For some reason, in this one, he kept he asked me like two or three times because he was like passively watching while doing some work, and he's like, "Did that scene come up where she she goes and fucks those men on the boat?" I was like, "No, <laughs> not yet. That has not happened." <laughs> I know we never see anything happen out of that, and or if she yeah. even does it, right? It kind of seems like she ends up not going through right. with it. I don't think she went through with it. I mean, it's like death. I mean, the desperation in this scene is is palpable you know and i think that it is one of the strongest scenes because you're like this girl is so full of she's so desperate to live desperate you know it's like hugh was in the beginning of the film it's to me also it has a lot to do with in the real world outside of this fantasy and it follows it was kind of that idea that i was talking about earlier like if we don't protect ourselves or when we're choosing to have sex and more than just physically not only are we putting our health at risk but we're also putting like our sense of self at yeah. risk like what how we think of ourselves our dignity our self-worth it, yeah because then you can become sort of reckless with sex and desperate and just like i just have to feel like a, it's almost like cutting yourself like yeah. having to feel and um not reckless but like careless too yeah. you know like i think we all get to a point where after so many times having sex it takes that one experience where at some point we're just okay with meaningless sex like yeah it's just absolutely you know, soulless yeah that's a good point 
And like we said, I mean, we see her in that car afterwards. She's driving back home. She's like tears down her face. I mean, and we can maybe it's just the idea of that's where she even thought of going Went. is like yeah. it, it is enough to like make her emotional. You know, I don't. I don't think she did. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think she did it either because uh, then she says it's coming to get me. Like she tells Paul, she's like it's gonna be here sooner or later i mean whether she well here's the thing if she had sex with she's not like she had sex with all three of those dudes and if she did then that was dumb on her part because once she has sex with one of them it's coming after that one not the other two so unless they were uh having sex with each other which that'd be pretty hot um i know i wanted to see what the guys looked like up close i know they look like they had big muscles Okay, so would you... Okay, one of the fans of this movie is Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. And he was describing (laughs) his love for this movie and saying that he would have slept with Paul. (laughs) Ew. So my question for you is, would you have slept with Paul just to get it away from you? And he's a clown at this point. Like, might as well. I mean, yeah, even he's like trying to get on, like trying to kiss her and all this stuff. And she's like, Paul back up like stop I don't know like and he's like so desperate to like prove himself and like be a man (laughs) about it it's like oh god I don't want to give you the satisfaction (laughs) right and when she turns him down she's basically saying I'd rather die than sleep with you (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't think I would sleep with Paul I mean I don't know I love how Paul looks at a Polaroid of her in a pool and comes up with his very elaborate plan. He's like, wait a minute. I have the perfect, yeah. ridiculous, stupid plan that was never, ever going to work. Let's do it. Yeah. And David Robert Mitchell said that he didn't want to make this too sophisticated. He didn't right. want to make it this sort of Home Alone, Nightmare on Elm Street scenario where you're setting up booby traps. It's just something very straightforward and simple. And I think some audience members have found it to be lackluster. It's not like the climax that is the most exciting idea. Well, it's almost like we know that this thing is like unkillable. So what makes them think that this plan is going to work? And so what David Robert Mitchell has done is like gone back and has answered many times in interviews saying that that was always the point that this is a you know at the end of the day this is a group of kids coming up with this plan and this is as good of a plan as a group of kids could make it's yeah it's only they only know as much as their minds can figure out right they can't become all of a sudden yeah supernatural experts or you know (laughs) it's like what what do you do it's like you have to you use what you know and I don't know. So I, I knowing that he's like aware of that makes me feel a little better about it because I know watching it back, I'm always like, yeah, like why, why was this the choice? Like it obviously fails epically. And you know, again, apparently that was on purpose, but um, right. it's sort of like it, it, there is a lot of build up for it. Like, you know, this, like the epic music and we have this voiceover that Yara gives about eight mile and, you know, not being able to 
to go to the wrong part of the town and you know so you're i don't know it's just like the dangers of being a girl going out right in a way totally and Um, also the weather like we said this weather is all over the place and in this moment all of a sudden it gets real hurricane dark stormy this is the climax of this movie and then it sort of results in this like epic failure of a plan yeah i do think though that i was surprised to read that fans don't like this climax because yes it is silly because it's a kid's plan but i go along with it right and i actually really like this scene well i think there's a lot I'm of like, good I things that come out of it i mean i think yeah. you know i understand what their their plan was they were like they're like trying to electrocute it in this pool and they bring all these <laughs> electronics or whatever okay sure but like once the plan backfires, I think it gets. I think it gets really exciting. That's when it gets really scary when all the, and exciting. when when the when that first TV gets lifted up and thrown into the pool while she's still in it. Like yeah. oh, you're like oh shit! Like this is backfire. You're waiting for her to get electrocuted. They did not think about this all the way through, and then you know she's stuck in the middle of this pool, being you know attacked. Like he's like hurling these these things at her. And I, th- I think it's, I yeah. think it's very, very suspenseful. And I think that once you realize who the the, yes. the the shape has taken the form of in this like sort of final moment, like who is the scary, like of all the things that she's seen so far, the probably most personal scary one to her is, I guess, her dad. Her dad, which makes me wonder. I'm like, did she have a sexually traumatic experience with her father, or was Maybe. he just abusive? Because I also think it's rather telling that this is the plan, and that her seeing her dad using these household appliances against her, like maybe there was a domestic violence issue. Sure. There, I mean, it could be anything, and I think it's really up to the audience watching it, it to be able to project what they think it is on this man, so that it it feels more relatable to each person individually. Yeah. So you never know how someone's going to interpret this. I kind of see him as abusive, but I totally got sexually mm. abusive. Sure. It's it Maybe seemed to me like kids. he is like her biggest personal demon. Like yeah. whatever trauma he's caused, he's not around anymore obviously, but she wouldn't even tell Kelly who it took the form of she's like you don't she's want- sort of protecting her from knowing yeah that. she's like you i don't want to tell you who it is because it just makes it that sca- much more scary you know yeah i would really i mean i guess leaving it mysterious is intriguing and it does give you that ability to project yourself onto the characters but um i kind of would like to know but i guess it goes without saying like you would like to, to have known what I would like to have known what exactly their story was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a but lot of up to interpretation. I, don't need it. I just would have liked to know. Yeah, yeah, just the curiosity of it all. Um, and then you know we have some really other other exciting moments like Yara's dumbass getting shot by the gun. <laughs> Which, I know she's just always go- going through something in this right movie, yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, again, this is what happens when you, you these kids try to take on these adult situations like they're just fling around these guns like they're no big deal and now somebody somebody's shot and it's not from mm-hmm. the monster that's after them it's from themselves like um i don't know i just, i think that's it's, it just adds to the kind of chaos that is this whole scene and then yeah. um 
Then oh, we that ha- beautiful visual of the blood the in blood. the pool. Yeah, so I mean, uh. it, it all comes to a, a you know a climax when um, they shoot the mon- monster in the head after putting the sheet over it, and then, unlucky for them, it face plants into the pool. And now it's in the pool with Jay and it swims and it grabs her, her ankle and she's sort of being drowned by it. And then, you know, Paul just, you know, lighten up the pool and hits it right in the head. And then just this like bloom of like red blood just yes. flows out of it. And um, yeah, it, 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 it is a really beautiful visual, um, you know, as she's like looking into the pool and seeing it. What do you think it means? Do you think it means anything or is it just... I mean, uh, this is where I was like, this is a total uh, commentary on STDs. Just like the disturbance of your body, the disturbance of your blood. Um, Mm. But so I'm not sure exactly what it means beyond that. But I also almost felt like it was over. It's possible. I mean, because... When it first walks in, it doesn't immediately jump in the pool to get Jay. It stays outside no. of the pool and is throwing things at her. And so maybe, so to me, that kind of means like maybe it, it doesn't want to get in the water. And because it, yeah. because it goes into the water because it gets shot in the head and falls into the water, maybe water is its water. weakness. And so when he gets shot in the water... He's not able to revive himself or whatever, and maybe it is done. So yeah, maybe that's kind of what I felt like a completion. I feel like everything that they do after is sort of just to make sure, sure. that it stays away because I think Paul definitely had sex with one of these prostitutes. You think he just did to it? play? I think he did because I think he was what like okay, now we'll have sex and then I'll go fuck a prostitute and then. You know, we'll find out if it's dead or not. If we start seeing it again, then, you know. But it sort of seems, because even at the end, when that thing is walking behind them, like, it kind of leaves us with, like, ooh, it's still following them. But the whole time that we've seen it, it's in an all-white outfit. And the person that's walking behind them on the street is wearing a white shirt, but, like, black jeans Mm -hmm. or something. So I don't think that was the entity. So I think they might be free of this curse. I mean, it's possible. Again, they left it very open. Potentially, for, I don't know if the intention was for a sequel, but I mean, it's definitely open for interpretation. You can say well, maybe there was a talk of the, a sequel the very next year, but at this point, there's nothing that's even been sketched out or developed. Yeah, around it. Yeah, except Micah Monroe as that's last year said that she would want to do another one, but I'm like, I don't think it'll be about you, girl. I mean, my God, yeah. Seven years later, it's, you're still being followed by this? Like, you'd be dead. Yeah, you're not gonna... Not so fast. <laughs> They're in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just taking, uh, yeah, cross the world trips every day. Every it gets day. stuck in customs or yeah. uh, who knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, it's sort of left for everybody to determine whether they think it's over or not and for some reason I don't know why I don't know again it's because now she's so (laughs) desperate she like gets with Paul like they're holding hands down the street I'm like ew this is exactly what he wanted and I feel like he fully exploited her in this situation I think this was step two of the plan I think he was like okay we're gonna try to kill it and then after that 
you're gonna have sex with me and we'll go give it to a prostitute and don't worry don't worry i'm just i'm just a piece of the puzzle i'm I, it's not because right. i want to have sex with you i'm and like I'm but i'm like then why is she over here holding his hand like sub- seemingly a couple, a, a couple i'm like with paul though why i know especially because she looks like he she could be his babysitter <laughs> yeah seriously yeah i don't like it i don't like paul or Greg. Me either. He's scuzzy. Yeah. Agreed. All right. And then it's who knows what their fate is. Do they walk hand in I hand know. down the street forever or not? I don't know. What do you think? You think they made it out of that? Um, I think they turned the corner and it fucked both of them up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. Okay. Yeah. They're dead in the sequel. It'll be like Final Destination where it's just a newspaper of their yeah. mangled bodies. <laughs> yeah. Very <laughs> early 2000s. Wind. Yeah, I heard this story. Yeah, I've heard this story before. It happened to a couple kids in Detroit. They go to the library and look at the old newspaper clippings on that fucking, you know, thing. <laughs> the ching ching, ching ching. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe we'll finally get a confirmation on the year that this movie takes place. In. They're like back in nineteen fourteen eight hundred eighty six. Yeah. <laughs> 1914 86 is when this <laughs> 1970-80-90 yeah <laughs> alright final thoughts final thoughts okay my final thoughts are this is very strong storytelling I think that this is a concept that rings true for me as someone who is self aware of how my actions can affect my being <laughs> um, and I just think that the discovery of <laughs> sexuality Ew. is very rings true for a lot of people <laughs> I think that the commentary paired with the film's nostalgic aesthetic and the beautiful visuals, it really creates a really great movie, a very beautiful movie. I think it sometimes dips into moments that may be a little too quiet. And I do think that they could have picked up the pace in certain scenes, but like there were some moments that didn't seem totally necessary. So maybe just a little more editing is what I thought. Just to kind of... I don't think this movie needs to be an hour and 40 minutes. But regardless, this is a great movie. And it excited me to watch it now that I have this Fear the Talking Queers mindset when watching movies. It was a different experience for me than the first couple times I've seen it. Right. So I'm going to give this a four and a half out of five. Yes. All right. Yeah. So for me, definitely one that affected me. I think that this movie is such like an original concept, which is rare nowadays. I mean, mostly horror com- is like derived from something, an old, an older movie, a reboot, a remake, a sequel, whatever. And I think that this movie is just so original. Um, it's, it's, it, it makes it so exciting to me. And I think yeah. this movie did really affect me when it first came out. I remember, like I said, having dreams about it. I was just like really <laughs> into this concept. I thought it was so scary. Um, uh, I really like, yeah, like the references in it, but also um, the dream, the dreaminess of it. Uh, it, it just feels just otherworldly, even, <laughs> but also of this world. It's very hard to explain, but um, that plus the score everything just works so well for me i think that it deserves all all the critical acclaim that it has received um yeah it has a 95 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah that's pretty damn good and it's that's I, high i think it was like on rotten tomatoes like i think it was like number eight on the top 
horror films of all time or something on Rotten Tomatoes as far yeah. as like the score goes. And so, yes. I mean, there's a lot of acclaim to this movie, and I think that um, it, it it is very much a product of like less is more, you know, storytelling. Yeah, there's not a lot. It's not incredibly gory in your face. Um, it is just pure storytelling interpretation. Um, I don't know, and some genuinely scary moments. Yeah, absolutely. And so for me, this movie is a four and a half out of five as well. One of my faves. Yes. Love it. I actually, you yeah. know what? Scra- scrap that. I'll just give it a five out of five. I really love this All movie. Right. I mean, it has its issues here and there, but I'm still willing to give it a five out of five. Totally. All right. Well, that does it. It stopped following us. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> We're done. No. Ah. But you listeners out there better not stop following us because... We are making our way up the social media ladder here with our 1,000 oh followers. Yes. yes. So, I know. We already plugged our social media. Yeah. Um, tell your friends. Tag us. Tag everybody. Yeah. Buy your. It's, t- it's time for Christmas shopping. You better head over to the fearthetalkingqueers.com slash store <laughs> to get all your Christmas essentials. That's right. <laughs> we want to hit 2,000 by the end of this week. So... <laughs> help us do that (laughs) yeah help us live our dreams yes um and then join us next week for our very special thanksgiving episode oh my god we're doing a beautiful movie about family which one is it it is hereditary and i'm which is (laughs) i am so excited for uh if you know how i feel about midsommar then just imagine how i feel about miss hereditary because Ugh. Ugh, I just it's a very disturbing movie that I told myself I would never watch again so here we go <laughs> here we go <laughs> alright everybody thank you for tuning in watch your back and uh, sweet screams bitch <laughs> <laughs> bye bye <laughs> ah! <laughs>